Welcome to Church in the Wild. My name's Jason. I get to be the pastor here. And I am super excited to be with you all today. And uh, we had a whole week off. And so I have two sermons just for you guys today. Uh, specifically preaching against the Cincinnati Reds today in Sermon 1. Cleveland Indians in Sermon 2. And talking about how great the Tiger Detroit Tigers are in Season 3. We're, we're into seasons now instead of sermons. Uh, hey, we got a video to watch. This is a quick recap of Wildlife Week. And so uh, this was an amazing week. So watch this video and then we'll jump into the sermon. I think that last picture is the greatest picture of all time. I love that picture so much. I said that as soon as I saw it, I said it to Jesse. I was like, Keegan is 100% my dude. Like, I love him so much. What a guy. Oh, man. Hey, Wildlife Week was amazing. Uh, the video uh, was at the very beginning of our first day. And the last day at that camp, we had 107 kids in K through fifth grade alone. And uh, just incredible uh, we, we were able to have 10 salvations. We were able to baptize four people on that Sunday. Um, one of the coolest things was this little boy, uh, his, his name was Lucas, and he gave, me, uh, he gave me the stink eye every time I told him where to go stand. Like literally every time I'd be like, hey, bud, you got to go to the circle at the end. And he'd be like, and then just walk off the other way. And the last day he came walking up with the Bible and he's like, I'm going to heaven because I got Jesus in my heart. <laughs> it was so, so cool. Uh, man, it was an incredible week. And thank you all. Thank you for, uh, you know, every your, your money goes to this, right? We are able to do something that is almost unheard of. And that is to give a free camp to families in our community. That is almost unheard of. 
Um, most camps are two days and they're $300. We do a four day for free. And that's because of your generosity. Uh, we're able to bring in a, a mission team who, of athletes who play the sports they coach and they come all the way from Arkansas. This is their height. This is their spring break. They just take it in the middle of summer and instead sacrifice that and come and do this mission trip. And they play the sports that they coach, uh, which is really amazing. About five years ago, um, I was talking to someone. I said, I really want to for kids in our community, and I want it free, and I want it to be better than a camp they would pay for. And um, I, th I think that happened this week. So many parents came up and were like, this is better than the camps that we pay for. Like so many parents would keep coming and saying that to me. Um, we had a block party at the end and parents were just so thankful. Um, and that gratitude is to you for all that you give, all that you do, uh, the opportunity to be able to, to have that. And um, so just a great week to be able to baptize people, pass out candy. I was banned from passing out candy this year in the parade. So this is the reason that we were able to give all the candy out this year uh, instead by the halfway point because anytime I give out candy it's like I'm, I feel like Santa Claus on Christmas like he has to be the happiest guy in the world because I'm just chucking candy like here's a bag for you it makes me so happy and then the last half everyone's sad because we don't give out candy so uh, man we had a great week thanks so much for all who put so much effort into it uh, Psalm chapter 8 Psalm chapter 8 we are in this series living a full life and we are talking about living a wonderful life today and this is so important i know that we normally just jump into reading the scripture but i wanted you to read this part that god inspired the psalmist to put in here to the choir master according to the giddeth which is awesome a psalm of david that is so important that that is in this passage and then he begins O lord our lord how majestic is your name in all the earth you set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at, the, at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him only a little lower than the heavenly beings and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. This is such a beautiful psalm. It's so powerful. Like when you read it, you almost can't not be excited. Like it's just a powerful, beautiful, it's a work of art, honestly. It's a beautiful work. And it's framed so importantly. He talks about, hey, this is to the choir master. What he's saying is, we're about to get down with this song. We're going to worship with this song. This is not going to be one that you just read. This is going to be one that you jam to, is what he's telling this guy. And then he's like, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. And he just begins to praise God. And then verse 2, like it's weird. It almost seems like it wouldn't fit. Because he's like, oh, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have decided to show your strength. And that's like, what? What are you talking about? Now, this theme of babies and infants being used uh, for God's glory and to show his strength is not unique to Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. It is actually a theme that goes throughout the entire Bible. Think about the guy who wrote this. The Bible says he was young and he looked 
like a very young person who was like too shockingly good to be a warrior, and yet he killed a giant. Jesus himself fulfilled this prophecy. Like this is a prophecy about Jesus, and he fulfilled it when he was born. How did he do this? Well, wise men came from afar to see him. Shepherds marveled at the majesty of God. When he got to the temple, what happened? Prophets and prophetesses began to proclaim and talk about the strength of God at the arrival of Jesus. Not only this, but John the Baptist, in his mother's womb, leaped for joy when his mom began to talk about God. This theme is all throughout the Bible. And in fact, the Bible in Revelation says that in the end times, young people will have dreams. They will have visions. They will prophesy. They will say things that are beyond explanation. This is a theme central to the Bible. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 18 at verse 1. He said, at this time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Calling to him a child, he put, them, put him in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Then in Matthew 19, 13, then children were brought to him and he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and they went away. This is a theme throughout the Bible that God can use babies and infants to show just how powerful, how wonderful, how majestic he is. But it's also a bigger theme than this. See, David killed a uh, giant when he was a child. And David was humble when he was a child. And David fought and, and won great many battles as a humble, obedient to God person. It was only when David began to be the king that everyone followed and everyone looked at and everyone began to say, oh, there goes David, that he began to lose battles and have problems. Jesus represents all of these things. And the idea of this is that God can use anyone including children and babies, to demonstrate his power. But the idea of Psalm 8 is not just that God uses children, it is far bigger, saying that God can use us when we humble ourselves in front of him. The idea of Psalm 8 is that when we become humble and obedient like little children to God, he can use us to do great and powerful and wonderful things through him. And it shows his strength when we humble ourselves. Why does God say out of the mouths of babies and infants? Well, because babies and infants are entirely dependent upon their parents. Entirely. Uh, we we're, were at um, Lori's family's on Friday night, and I, I'm typically afraid to hold people's babies because I think I'm going to drop them. I'm always like, man, what, how mad are you going to be if I drop this child? Like, so I've never, I used to say no. Like, we'd go to see people who had babies. I'm like, that's a cute baby. I'm not touching that thing. Now I'm getting a little bit more comfortable. And so I, I held uh, Cam and Caitlin's baby for a while. And it was fine. It was great until it got tired or hungry, one of the two. And then everything went south in two seconds. It was like, this dude can't help me. I need my parents. Why? 
when we're like children, when we're humble and obedient, when we are entirely dependent upon God, like babies and infants are entirely dependent upon their father, God then shows his majesty and strength through us to the world around us. When we realize it's not about us, it's about him, and we say, God, I need you just to survive today. Think about what Jesus said. He said, uh, when he was teaching the disciples how to pray, he said, give, it, give us today our daily bread. Now, we like, you know, we have the little, I used to get the little devotional from my grandma, and it was called our daily bread, and you open it up, and it had a verse and then a story every day, and I used to think that's what that meant. I was like, man, Jesus knew about this, this little book that somebody was writing years ago. The idea is, Jesus was saying, God, give us what we need just to survive we can't survive a day without you, is what he's saying. And when we become like this, God can use anyone at any time for anything that shows his strength. That includes you and me. Now, there's two big lies when it comes to talking about being used by God. The first is that God can't use us. This is a big lie. It's, it's, we get told it all the time. God can't use me. Why? I'm not good enough. I have too much in my past. I have this, this thing that happened. I had this. You don't understand. God can't use me. Often we say, I'm not good enough. I did too many bad things in my past. I don't want to. Someday he will. Or maybe he used to, but right now he can't. And Satan loves to tell you this lie. This is one of his favorite lies. And every pastor in America has said this, so I'm going to join the list. When Satan tells you about your past, you remind him of his future. God can use anyone regardless of the past. That is not, think about the Bible. Everyone in the Bible sins besides Jesus. And the Bible just writes them in there like, oh, these guys did terrible things. And it puts them in there. Why? To show us, one, that only Jesus is sinless, and two, that God uses sinners. And if God can use David, God can use you. This is such a lie that we've been taught. Oh, God can't use me. You, don't, uh, you can do that. Jason, you go ahead. You be used by God because you don't know what I did. That's a lie from Satan. That's a lie. You are not what you used to do. He is sanctifying you slowly. You are slowly being made into his image. In fact, I think it was Paul that said uh, we, uh, Moses had to veil his face just to enter the presence of God, but we don't have to. He said we get to see God for who he is, and we are slowly becoming like him. So one day we will be glorified, justified, and sanctified and made fully into his beautiful image. So don't let the lie of, well, I used to do this five years ago, so that means I can't tell someone about Jesus. No, it's a lie. What you used to do five years ago shows, you, shows people how powerful God is. When people attack you, oh, yeah, you're supposed to be a Christian, and they start, you know, everybody loves to pile on Christians. It's the cool, fun thing to do right now. It's an opportunity for you to say, yeah, isn't it amazing that God is that strong that he can use someone as frail as me? It's not about you. It's about him. And people love, oh, yeah, you're Christian? Showed up three minutes late to work. Huh? Yeah, I know. Man, isn't it great that God can use someone who cares more about Starbucks than getting to work on time? I mean, God can still use me, and that's incredible. That's what Christianity's about. That's the truth. But the second lie he, he, we get told is that God has to be using me. 
Like, God has to use me. Uh, growing up, there used to be this story that was told about how, like, you know, if you don't go to the mission field and God calls you to the mission field, you don't go, God's going to kill you. Like, there was these stories that would go around, like, this stuff like this. And, and as a kid, I'd be like, man, if I don't do exactly the one thing, like, if I do this and God actually wanted me to do this, man, I'm in so much trouble. And what I've learned is that's not true either. God can use me, but he doesn't have to use me. When he does use me, it's a blessing to me. But God is not up in heaven wringing his hands, hoping that I will just somehow manage to figure out what he actually wants me to do. Because if not, his plans are shot. He's the creator of the universe. It's got a bigger plan than that. That's also not the truth. We, we often think like, you know, it has to be me. Or if not me, then I'm going to be punished for this. No, when God does use us, it is a blessing for us. It's a reward for us. That's how God views it. The truth is, and the right approach to God using us, is God can use anyone, including me. And when God does use me, it is a blessing to me. When God looks down and sees us and we're like, man, I don't know, God. I don't know how you could ever use me. And then God says, I want you to tell this person that you know about Jesus. And they're going to come to Christ. And you're going to baptize them. And then they're going to start to tell people about Jesus. When that happens, it's done as a blessing for us. That's the truth of how God uses us. So God uses us to show strength to his enemies when we become as babies. Babies are entirely dependent upon their parents. They are humble in obedience to their parents because they know they cannot do anything without them. So how do we then develop this? Like, how do we begin to be that humble, obedient, entirely dependent upon God person as an adult? Well, the answer is actually in the text that we read. Look at verse 3 of Psalm chapter 8. Verse 3. When I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are even mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Here's the big idea. When God uses us, we marvel and wonder at him. And one of the best ways of wondering and marveling at God is to get into his creation and look at what he's made. This is why David says this. He's like, when I, when I become like an infant and a baby, and then I see the works of your heavens, and I look at the beauty of all that you've done, I then begin to think, why are you even mindful of me, Father? This is what David's saying. And this wonder at who God is and what God made is uh, often given to us best by going out into creation and looking at what the Creator made. And looking at it and studying it and marveling it. This is what children do. Children do this automatically. You walk somewhere with them down a trail and they stop and look at every bug. And they completely analyze every bug that they see as they pass by. Our, our daughter will get down on the ground eye level with a caterpillar for 10 minutes. And I'm like, we got to get to, we got to go, we got to go. And I'm in such a hurry that I miss the majesty of the creator when he's placed something right in front of me. And when I miss the majesty of the one who's placed something in front of me, I then think, I've got to take things on myself. And then I begin to get stressed, and I begin to work harder and harder and harder, and I lose sight of the fact that I'm dependent upon God. 
This is why creation is so important. This is why the concept of creation is important, and this is why the creator is important, and this is why it's important that we as individuals get into that creation and wonder at him. Take time to watch birds. They're amazing. Take time, buy a hummingbird feeder, and just be lazy for a minute and watch the hummingbird come in. It's incredible. Go places where there are not other people and other things and leave your phone in the car and wonder at God. And when you do, you will realize how amazing he really is. And guess what? The email will still be there when you get back. It will still be there. You will not have missed anything when you pause to marvel at the majesty of the creator. Go out into creation. Drive past city lights and look at, at fireflies. They're incredible. They're incredible. The chemicals in them are specifically given so that they can light up to attract a mate, to tell others who are trying to eat them, you will get poisoned if you eat me. And also those chemicals mix together so that when they light up, they don't burn themselves to death. God did that. God placed that in them, and when we look at them, it's like, man, this is incredible, but it's so much more complex than that. Take your family into creation. Take your family out into nature and let them marvel. Let them wonder. I was telling Sam, we used to, uh, we used to work on my parents' farm, and uh, my dad would have us working and working and working, and sometimes he would all of a sudden, in the middle of the day, if it was hot, he'd be like, that's it, we're done, let's go to the lake. And we would just be done, like, the rest of the day. And we would go to the lake, and it would be incredible. Just absolutely incredible as children. And he would just let us, here you go, here's Lake Michigan. <laughs> go for it. And I'd be out there, like, like 200 yards into Lake Michigan, swimming along, trying to, like, trying to survive sometimes. And he'd be like, have fun, you know? Like, and our concept of the creator as children was so big. Why? Because we didn't slam screens in front of ourselves and look only at the creation of man. This is the problem with screens. One, every time you open one, you lose the opportunity to disciple your child, and your child now is being discipled by somebody else. But two, they only see man's creation. And we lose sight of how big God is when all we see is what mankind has created. This is why there is a direct correlation to the mental health uh, cr uh, crisis we have and the, the growth of suburban or urban populations. Like there is literally a link to people who were born in a city and people who have lived in a city and spent their entire life in a city because we don't see creation. We don't see the creator. We lose sight of him. Put the screens down. Let your kid get dirty. Well, they might get sick. They are going to anyways. Have you been to preschool? Every day from March till April. Let them get sick by eating a bug. Let them marvel at God and wonder at God and you join in with them. Man, if you're single, you have so much opportunity to do this. Go for hikes. Go for a hike and just don't worry about letting everybody on Instagram know you did it. Go for a hike and just look at the trees. Look at the birds. 
look at the sky. Look at the poison ivy. It's everywhere. Look at, look at everything around you and marvel and wonder at it. When you marvel and wonder at the creator because of his creation, you begin to realize how dependent you are on him. David said, when I look at the heavens, when I start counting stars, I think, why did you even bother with me? And then I'm humble. And when I'm humble, God uses me yet again. So that's one half. And I think it's really easy to hear that part and then be like, sweet, skipping church next Sunday and going to a park, right? But that's why I told you the beginning of this, this psalm is so important. David begins the psalm with, to the choir master. To the choir master. You know what he's saying? We need to worship together. Why? Because worshiping together makes us wonder at God. And wondering at God brings us closer to him. And when we get closer to him through worship, when we worship together, the idea of worship is singing loudly and together in unison. It actually releases a, a chemical in your brain that makes you fall in love with the people you're singing with, which is really interesting. This is like why you got to be careful who you take to a Garth Brooks concert, right? Uh, you know, like, oh no, what have I done, right? But you singing together in worship causes us to fall in love with those around us, and it also causes us to fall in love with the one we're singing to. It's been shown that those who gather together in worship are, are more preventable to diseases. They've actually been shown to have better mental health. Uh, it's like a preventer of so many different things when we worship. Worship is more than just listening to Brandon Lake in a car. He's so talented and it's beautiful. But just because there's a, a, a station with worship doesn't mean you're worshiping. Worshiping is when you gather together and sing like a choir. When together you worship the God who created you, you begin to wonder at him and marvel at him. And this is why so many of us have so many problems with people, because we don't truly worship. This is why we have, well, this person, this person, this person, this person, because we've lost sight of worship. Worship has begun to be able to be, eh, it's like negotiable, like, yeah, maybe we'll go. Maybe we'll go to church. Maybe we'll do this. Maybe we won't. And we lose sight of the majesty of God and we begin to obsess over what's wrong with everybody else when we fail to worship. This is why it's so important that you say, hey, we're going. This is happening. We're going to worship. And this is really easy, I think, for us as men to be like, yeah, that's great for the women and the children, but I'm a man. I don't sing. The only thing I sing is Travis Tritt, right? It's really easy to think that. But who wrote the psalm? David, like the ultimate male, like the only person in the room stronger than Jesse Parthenon, right? Like he's the ultimate dude, like the guy who killed lions and bears and giants and the Bible recorded him as killing his tens of thousands of enemies. He's the one who's like, it's super important that we gather and worship. He's the one that danced so much that people were like, well, something wrong with that dude. The great warrior, the stoic marvel, like the ultimate warrior and Hulk Hogan had a child and it was David. And he's the one dancing in the street so much that people are like, what's wrong with him? He's like, the Ark of the Covenant is here. That's what's wrong with me. I got the presence of God. I'm so excited to worship him. So we wonder at God in creation and we wonder at God in worship. We gather together, we worship. 
We wonder at him and marvel at him. And when that happens, we begin to see him for who he really is and how powerful he is. And when that happens, we begin to be humble and we begin to be obedient and we begin to develop childlike faith. And then, like Paul, we realize when I'm weak, then I'm actually strong. Like that's such an oxymoron in our culture where it's like we need to let everybody know how strong we are. We need to let everybody know we don't have any flaws. We don't have any problems. We don't have anything wrong. But Paul, the one who, if he came here, all of us would be like, man, I'm listening to that dude, was like, hey, I've realized that my childlike faith makes me realize God is so incredible and I am so weak, but that is what actually gives me the strength to do what he's called me to do. This is the idea of Psalm chapter 8. It's that God can use those of us who humble ourselves and are obedient to him. And we kneel down in his presence and say, it's just you. Any glory goes to you. Any praise goes to you. Any majesty, any power is yours. And I just want to be used by you. What is man that I, you are mindful of that? You say right now, okay, well, worship team, you guys can come up here. Well, I don't really have a lot of creation to marvel at. And I don't really sing in front of people, and I don't really do that. And so we all have one other thing we can wonder at, and that is our salvation. And then think about that. Okay, you don't live at Yellowstone. You don't live at the ocean. I get it. And maybe you're not, you know, the next uh, Michael Buble. I get it. But God, the creator, the one who created all the stuff, reached down out of heaven and said, I want to rescue you from your sins. I love you so much that I created a tree and you sinned underneath that tree and yet I redeemed you. And I love you enough that when you were depressed and hiding under a tree and like Elijah and saying, you know what? No one cares about me. I'm all alone. You had that tree there. And, that, and then the angel came to that tree and told me, hey, there's 700 others and there's all these other people and look at what God is doing. And you brought me back to my feet. And you created another tree that you were willing to carry up a hill to be crucified on, to die for the punishment of sins because God is so wonderful and he is so majestic and he is so powerful that you and I, no matter what we do, cannot equal that with our own strength. We just cannot because none of us, the Bible says none are righteous. No, not even one. All have sinned. This is why we fight about, is this a sin? Is this a sin? We've all sinned, every one of us. We all sin daily. The average American lies 14 times a day. We all sin. Yet he saves us when we accept him. And this is something to wonder at. So I'm going to ask you all to stand to your feet right now. What we're going to do is something we've been, we've been doing for a little while. I'm going to ask you to, in just a moment, to, after I pray, to begin to pray with those around you. Find someone near you and pray with them. It can be family, can be friends, can be mortal enemies. I don't even know. Pray with them. It could be the guy wearing the Cincinnati Reds or the Cleveland Indians or the Tigers. You can pray together, 
right? Pray for baseball, it needs it. But we're gonna pray together as a church family. We're just gonna find people near us and say, God, you and we need you. Look at what you've created. Help us to get into creation. God, help us to worship you. God, thank you for our salvation. And if there's anyone in here who's thinking right now, well, I need Jesus. I need the one who saves us. Because I realized maybe for the first time ever that I actually do sin. My parents lied when they told me I was perfect. So did Disney when they said, you're perfect just the way you are. You're not, you sin, so do I. We all do it, we all do. And maybe you're realizing that for the first time. And so maybe the prayer is, God, I need the salvation that you're talking about. I need you to rescue me. I do not want to spend eternity apart from you. And I cannot get through this life and I cannot save myself on my own. I need you. Save me. Let me spend eternity with you in your creation. How amazing will that be? I'm going to try to ride raindrops. Isla wants to ride a cheetah. Like, that's going to be incredible when he returns and we get to see creation the way he intended it to be. Don't miss that because of pride. Don't miss that because, well, I'm going to try this on my own. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll figure this out on my own. No one tells me I'm a sinner. Don't miss it because of that. Humble yourselves and become like an obedient child and say, Father, I need you. Rescue me. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to encourage you all to pray together. I'll be down front. If you, need to, uh, if you need to pray with someone, I'll pray with you down here. Otherwise, you can pray together. And after about five minutes, the worship team is going to sing. When you're done praying, you are welcome to join them in worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this opportunity to gather and worship you. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done in Wildlife Week. You are amazing and wonderful. And we love you so much. Thank you for creation. Help us to get into it. Thank you for worship. Help us to actually worship you. And Lord, thank you for our salvation. It is a beautiful, wonderful gift. We ask this all in Jesus' name.